0: good boys and girls two-footed podcast on friday the 19th of august brought to you by eplindex.com on the topic of eplindex.com don't forget to check out a tad predictable on this feed latest show is up predicting this weekend's games me and guy are going to predict the games as well but today does it every week too he is a v- variety of guests on so make sure you're listening to that show also Check out the EPL Roundtable. You can find it on your podcast provider by searching EPL Roundtable. We're also brought to you by our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield, our VPN provider, a virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you geoblock from, while also keeping your data safe. So if you're a UK expat and you want to watch Match of the Day on the BBC player this weekend, a Liberty Shield VPN can get you where you want to go and keep your data safe. There's a hardware and software package available from LibertyShield.com. And if you use the code EPL25, that's EPL25, you get 25% off a checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do throw an eye on the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks, I have Guy with me. He will be joining me after the break to preview and predict this weekend's games. But before we get there, let's just take a look at the latest news. Brendan Rodgers has said he expects Wesley Fafana to still be a Leicester City player when the transfer window closes. He is still a Leicester City player. He is not for sale. The club have made that clear. Unless anything changes, he will still be here. Fafana signed a new contract in March, which committed him to the club till 2027. There is a belief that when he signed that contract, there was an agreement that... Next summer, 2023, Leicester would consider offers for Fafana over a certain point. What that number is, is unknown to anybody outside those who were in that meeting. But it does seem like Leicester are going to dig their heels in this summer. And it seems like James Madison will also be staying. The club want to extend his contract which they're going to have to do because next summer he'll only have 12 months left. um. And Madison is obviously a very, very important player and a very good player for Leicester. Keeping Fafana would be huge. It's just a shame they don't really have a partner for him uh, or a goalkeeper to play behind him. That's a bit of a shame. Uh, moving on. Casemiro. Manchester United target wants to leave Real Madrid, says Carlo Ancelotti. Real Madrid boss Carlo Ancelotti says Casemiro wants a new challenge and to leave the club as United close in on a deal worth up to 60 million pounds. Now he's still in training with Real, but he has made it clear he would like to leave. Ancelotti says he doesn't know why he would want to leave such a successful club for a struggling club. I can think of about 360,000 reasons. Why he might want to leave. The Casemiro contract. Or the Casemiro signing. Is the subject. Of much. Discussion on social media today. And the truth is. I just. I don't see the logic in it. He is a very 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 good player. There's absolutely no doubt. He's also a player who's on the decline. There's been a noticeable drop in the last two years. Now, he still gets up for big games. And in the Champions League in particular, he can still put in big-time performances. But here's a couple of things to keep in mind regarding him. Number one, he is a player who persistently fouls. Now, certain players get away with that. Fernandinho got away with it for years. But Casemiro does that in the slowest of the big five leagues, La Liga. What's he going to do when he comes to the Premier League? The quickest, most physically intense league in Europe. We saw Rafael Varane look completely lost in the Premier League last season. One of the most accomplished centre-backs in world football. And he looked like a championship player who'd been bought in to a Premier League club. He just looked lost, looked frazzled, couldn't cope with the intensity. Couldn't deal with the pace of the league. Now, he wasn't helped by who he was playing next to, but he was poor regardless, really, of who he played with. I think Casemiro will struggle. I think he'll struggle to adapt to the pace of the league. There's also the fact that it's one thing playing for Real Madrid when you get 70% of the ball and you've got Toni Kroos and Luka Modric either side of you that you can just give the ball to or you've got the legs of Valverde and Camavinga to give you a dig out. It's a very different thing when you're playing for Manchester United who won't dominate games in anywhere near the same manner And don't have anywhere close to that same calibre of midfielder. Now United fans are quite excited about Casemiro and Fred. Because they play together for Brazil. Look at who they largely play against. It's a lot of mediocre teams. He's 30. Who was the last 30-year-old midfield player to come to the Premier League and excel? who'd never been in the league before. I'm really struggling to think of one. Really struggling. And I saw someone went through the list of midfielders currently playing for top four clubs who are older than Casemiro right now. And the only one who's sort of 32-ish now, Casemiro's 30s, but bear with me. The Anyone who's 32-ish and performing at an elite level is Ilkay Gundogan. But he plays for Man City. And I've seen other United fans say, oh, well, De Bruyne, De Bruyne is older than him and he got a new contract and nobody cared about his age. Again, he plays for Man City. But these two lads have also been in the division for years. And they know what it is to play in the division. And... There's elite level depth at City where Bernardo Silva can step in for either of them and make sure they get plenty of rest. There's, there's none of that at United. This guy is coming into the league, having never played in it before. Yes, he's played against some English teams in the Champions League. The Champions League is not the Premier League. From an intensity and pace point of view, it's a very different competition. Then you factor in how far United are away from being a title contender. Or even really being a top four team. Like if you put Casemiro on Arsenal, they're a top four team. If you put Casemiro on Chelsea, they're a title challenging team. But that's because of what's around him. You put him in United maybe they improve from, I think I have them at the minute to finish seventh and maybe they finish sixth, but that's about it. So you go again next season, you spend a ball of a ball more money and then maybe you get top four. And now he's 32, 33 in the January. And then you go again, you spend another load of money and Maybe you start to get closer to the top two. But he's going to be past it to a point where he's going to be a liability in a lot of games. Just look at Nemanja Matic. Nemanja Matic was an outstanding holding midfielder when they signed him. And he was younger than Casemiro is now. And look what happened with him. Like United have made these big splashy signings. Repeatedly since Ferguson left. Repeatedly. And none of them have worked. I saw United fans saying, oh, we're buying the best holding midfielder in the world. Well, first of all, no, Rodri. Secondly, can I point you in the direction of Juan Mata, who you signed and said was the best playmaker in the league? Can I then point you in the direction of Angel de Maria, who you said was the best winger in the world? Uh, Radamel Falca was the best striker in the world. Can I then follow up and point you in the direction of Anthony Martial, the best young forward in the world? Bastian Schweinsteiger, one of the best midfielders in the world. Like Schweinsteiger is a prime example of why this is not a good idea. United signed Schweinsteiger. He was a little bit older. He was 31. But he's only six months older than Casemiro is now. There was a reason Bayern were happy to let him leave. It's the same reason Real are happy to let Casemiro leave. Can I then point you in the direction of Paul Pogba? The best midfielder in the world. I mean, Mkhitaryan they paid big money for. He flopped as well. Romelu Lukaku, the best number nine in the world. Nemanja Matic, the best holding midfielder in the world. Alexis Sanchez, the best forward player in English football. And it just goes on. Harry Maguire, England's best centre-back. Aaron Wan-Bissaka, England's best full-back. Rafa Varane, the best centre-back in the world. Cristiano, the GOAT. We're going to win the league. No. None of them worked. Sancho, the best young winger in world football. Every single one of those players flopped. Now, you could look at Mata and say, well, he was there a long time and he helped, you know, win a couple of trophies, whatever. But... Every one of them flopped. None of them delivered what they were expected to deliver. And there's absolutely no reason to believe that Casemiro will either. But there is a reason to believe that in two to three years, there'll be United fans crying about the fact that they're paying him 350 grand a week and he can't run. And the thing is, he won't age well. Like he won't age as well as Fernandinho. You can tell by his body type. He won't age as well. He'll start to pick up niggles and knocks and injuries, and he'll be missing 12, 14 games a season. And at Real, that was fine if he was missing a few games here, a few games there. But at United, it won't be because they've got nobody to step in for him. You've also got to ask, well, who's playing with him? Who's partnering him in midfield? Are you going to play a 4-2-3-1? Because at club level, he hasn't played that shape in years on a regular basis. At international level, he's played it, but international football is pretty much irrelevant. You've also got to look at the load that's been placed on him over the last... However, many years at Real, like this fella has a lot of minutes on his legs. If we go back, let's say thirteen, fourteen, gives us a good, a good run of them. Right, that was his first year, sort of establishing himself uh, at Real in the as a squad player. He barely played; he played six hundred and fifty-seven minutes, but he was. He, I think, he'd been on loan at Porto the year before. No, this is the year he went. Sorry, he went to Porto this year, fourteen fifteen. Uh, He plays 3,256 minutes in all competitions. Fifteen sixteen. then, he's back to Real, plays 2,539 minutes. Now, it's higher than these as well, because this site only factors a game at 90 minutes, doesn't factor any added time or anything like that. Uh, 3,300 minutes in... 1617 which is probably more along the lines of 3500 uh then you get 4000 in seventeen, eighteen, thirty two hundred, 3200 probably around 3500 in eighteen, nineteen, nineteen, twenty, about 4300 20, is about 4200 is about 4,300. That's a lot of minutes in the last four or five years. That is an awful lot of minutes. And international games. And international travel. He's a very good player. A very good player. He's not the right player for United. United do need a defensive midfielder. He's the right type of player. He's just not the right player. This is going to be another varan. Uh, let's move past that. Morgan Gibbs White has completed his move to Nottingham Forest, twenty-five million plus add-ons. So somewhere in the region of kind of seven to eight million of those are appearance-based, and the rest are based on England caps, forest winning silverware, forest getting into Europe, things like that. I think it's a really good move for. Forrest I like the move for him because I think Steve Cooper will be a great manager for him to work under. But I really wish he'd um I really wish he'd stayed at Wolves. I wish Wolves had kept hold of him because him, Neves and Nunes together could have been a great thrill. I love what Forrest have done this summer. I love the business that they've done. And the thing is, people laugh at the price of, you know, including the add ons. If Forrest have to pay those add ons, he will have been a runaway success and they'll be selling him for 60, 65, 70 million. So there's no real downside there. You get 20, you're getting a 22 year old, highly gifted English player for 25 million who's coming off an immense season of the championship. Let's not forget that Leicester signed James Madison for a similar figure off the back of a very, very good season of the championship. Others have done similar. Players have stepped up from the championship to the Premier League and excelled multiple times. I expect Gibbs White to do the same. And the thing is, at Forrest, he won't have massive pressure on him. Because they've got Jesse Lingard, who can play that same position. And Lingard's going to play a fair bit. I I assume Gibbs White will also play in the front two. I think Cooper will play a front three at times. He'll be part of that. But I think having him and Brennan Johnson, that's two super exciting young attacking players. A Awani's what, mid-twenties, Emmanuel Dennis's mid-twenties, Sam Surridge's mid-twenties. That's a really fun group that Forest fans can be excited about for years to come. Chelsea are allegedly, sorry, Chelsea are investigating allegations of racism by their fans towards Min Son from Sunday's game. Uh, This is obviously not the first time this has happened at Chelsea. Likely won't be the last, but good to see the club taking action. Eddie Howe says Bruno Gomeric is not for sale and will not be leaving the club this month to go to Real Madrid. I would imagine Gomeric is fairly high on Real's list of potential uh, Casemiro replacements. They've got they've got too many and they don't need to go and buy a midfielder at this point. But uh, for now, he is staying with the tune and that's great news for them. British billionaire Sir Jim Radcliffe wants to buy Manchester United. If the club is for sale, Jim is definitely a potential buyer, says a spokesman to the Times. Um, He is a Man United fan. He is obviously Britain's richest man. And he does have lots of money. However, most of his actual worth is tied up in his company. Like He doesn't have a big pile of cash sitting in the bank. Most of his worth is in his company. And through that company, he owns Nice, a Swiss club Lausanne Sport, a cycling team, and a stake in the Mercedes F1 team. What I would suggest is that people should take a look at how Nice and Lausanne have done under his watch. Has there been mass spending? Has there been extreme growth? Not really. So while he might want to buy the club and him being a fan might get United fans on board. uh, First of all, just check out his company. I don't think you'll be all that impressed. And secondly, um, He doesn't have the money to throw around. The company will make the decisions. The company will appoint people to run the club like they do at Nice. He doesn't interfere at Nice. He doesn't have much involvement. He doesn't invest tons of money. Go and take a look. We'll do the gossip. We'll take the break and then we'll come back with Guy. Manchester City do not want to sell Bernardo Silva. This is just boring at this point. Uh, Real Madrid see Newcastle and Brazil midfielder Bruno Gamerich as an ideal replacement for Casemiro. This is great. Ajax have rejected an €80 million bid from Manchester United for Anthony. First of all, it's ludicrous to bid that much for that player. Ridiculous. Secondly, to reject it is even worse. You should be snapping their hands off. PSV will not entertain a bid from Manchester United for Netherlands attacker Cody Gakbo until after the Champions League playoff second leg at home to Rangers on the 24th of August. I think it was a 2-2 draw on the first leg. Um, So they tried to buy Jurian Timber who is a right-footed, right-sided centre-back. He turned them down, so they bought Lisandro Martinez, who's a left-footed, left-side centre-back. Now, that's a warning sign. That's similar to some of the nonsense that Arsenal have done. Now, they want to sign Anthony, a left-footed right-winger, But if they don't get him, they're going to sign Cody, who's a right-footed left-winger. What that tells me is Eric Ten Hag doesn't really know what he wants. And he is scrambling. United are considering a move for Yannick Carrasco. Sure, I mean, meh. Borussia Dortmund will not pursue pursue an opportunity to sign Cristiano uh, because they don't want him. And it looks like the only club in Europe that does have some interest is sporting. And even then, some people are suggesting that Ruben Amarum doesn't want him. Chelsea are optimistic that a deal for Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang can be reached this week. Chelsea will consider loaning Christian Pulisic to Manchester United if the USA captain agrees to extend his current contract which is two years left to run. Leicester have opened talks with James Madison over a new contract. Everton have been linked to Tottenham's midfielder Harry Winks, but Frank Lampard has decided to walk away from the deal. This feels like it's from two months ago we were talking about this. Aston Villa's Burkino Faso w- winger Bertrand Traore is attracting heavy interest from Turkish side Istanbul Bishikshair. Turkish League would probably suit him. Bishik hope to finalise a deal for Delhi Ali so that the former England midfielder who can be in the stands for Sunday's game. Imagine former England midfielder, he's only 26. He's only 26. It's insane. What's gone wrong for him? Like it seems like such a long time ago now that Delhi was one of the most exciting young players in Europe that Spurs were quoting teams a hundred million when they were knocking on the door for him. He had a good season with MK Dons in his first full season, then a great season. Then he joins Spurs, he hits the ground running, has a good season. Then he's great in 1670. Absolutely immense year. He was very good in 1718. He got injured going into that World Cup. He played through the injury, and he's just never looked right since. He's never looked right since. He got, you know, a decent goal return for an attacking midfielder in 1819 and 1920, but he fell off a cliff then. He, he was declining for two years and then he fell off a cliff. And now he could be heading for Turkey at 26. Something, something has gone on that we don't know about. And we may never know about if Delhi doesn't want to come out and talk about it. Uh, Fulham are negotiating a fee for Patrick Cliver, sorry, Patrick Cliver, Justin Cliver, son of Patrick Cliver. Um, yeah, he doesn't really move the needle for me. West Ham are thought to have made another bid for Hans Vanaken of Club Bruges after their first offer was turned down. He's 29. He'll be 30 in a week. He's a good player. Don't get me wrong. Double-figures goals every season. And I mean every season. Uh, Seven years in a row with Club Bruges. Two years in a row with Lokeren. And two years with uh, Lommel United in the second division. Uh, Double-figures goals every season since the 11-12 year. That's an immense return. Now, again, I know it's Belgian football, but still... Um, also regularly, double figures, assists. So he does a bit of everything. But at 30, I just don't know. just don't know coming to the Premier League. Now he is a big unit of a fella and he might be a very moisy type of player. A's and Alkmaar have turned down bids of 15 million from Bournemouth and Celta Vigo for Jasper Carlson, despite the Swedish strikers' desire to leave the Dutch club. Fifteen million is, I think, very fair fair value for Jasper Carlson. I mean, he's only been there. Well, what's he there? Two years. What do they pay for him? I think they paid about two and a half million for him. So I think that's fifteen million's fair value. Uh, Watford rejected a second bid from Newcastle for Zaire Pedro. I assume they'll go back. I think that deal probably will get done. Newcastle have been trying to get a young striker in. I really like him. I think he is potentially outstanding. So yeah, I can see why. Um, I can see why they they'd be in for him, and I can see why they'll go back with a third bid. Lyon's French defender Malo Gusto has attracted interest in Barcelona and Manchester United. He'd be perfect for Barcelona. He really would. Um, but he should stay where he is and keep developing, in my view. And finally, Crystal Palace are interested in hosting Auer from Lyon. Despite reports, he's agreed personal terms with Nottingham Forest. Uh, my guess is that Forest will back out of that deal because they've just signed Morgan Gibbs White. And I don't really see what logic there would now be in signing our other than just to have another midfielder. Um I wouldn't say it would be a bad deal to sign him because it's Hossimar and he's a very good player. But um there's no real logic in that. You've spent a lot of money, maybe get a short term cover at Left back while Omar Richards is out. Maybe add another depth centre back. Maybe someone young that you can develop. Um, Outside of that, probably put the money away and put it towards buying Dean Henderson next summer. And that's that. That's the gossip. Back with Guy in under a minute. Right, welcome back. I'm joined by the one and the only Mr. Drinkle. How are you, sir?
1: I was doing all right, Dave, but then whilst I was editing the Daily Red, my laptop has decided to forget all my passwords, which is fun. So I've been scrambling in the background, but it's all sorted now.
0: Lovely. It's always ideal.
1: It is. It's lovely.
0: (laughs) Right, let's get cracking into these. Try and get them done in 30 minutes.
1: Oh, that's a challenge. There is no Steve Bruce to talk about, I suppose. Um, first up then, Saturday uh, afternoon game, we've got Spurs against Wolves. Um, Wolves had a mixed start to the season, but have performed well, especially in that Leeds game, whereas Spurs, uh, could, good couple of games for them, got, got a good result against Chelsea, maybe the performance wasn't matching of that, maybe Chelsea were the more deserving team, and then obviously battered Southampton. But Spurs are missing a few key people, including the manager. <laughs> um, but probably, almost more importantly, Christian Romero, who I know you're probably his biggest fan, mm-hmm. and I know you prob- don't rate any of their other defenders really. Um, he is missing, and mm-hmm. it just says ruled out. It doesn't give a time for him. Um, so it's gonna it's gonna be a patchy defence. No manager. Um, Whereas Wolves, well, we know who Wolves are missing. Um, Chiquinho, Raul Jimenez and Moutinho. Um, I still think Spurs should win, but I think there'll be a lot more threat, uh, a lot more opportunities for Wolves, I should say. say.
0: Yeah, I think so. I think without Romero, Spurs' defence definitely falls off quite a bit. He is undoubtedly the best defender of the club. But this is Wolves. And they don't really have a recognised goal scorer. Even when Raul Jimenez is fit, he doesn't score a bundle of goals. Uh, The assumption will be that Wang will play up front. Uh, I'm really interested to see what the rest of the Wolves team will look like. I wonder, is it just a bit too early for Matthias Nunes to step in and start? Then Donker has played fairly well to begin the season. Now, maybe they play the three of them, Nunes, Neves and Dendonker, and potentially then play Pedence just behind a front two of Neto and Wang, and try and hit Wol- uh, try and hit Spurs on the counter-attack, using pace down the flanks from the likes of Eight Nuri and Nelson Samedo, who's back, which is a big plus for them. Now, he might not start, but if he's fit enough to come off the bench for 20 minutes, that could be a big help for them. I still think Spurs should win the game, but I do think it's going to be a very tough game, a very close game. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say 2-1 Spurs. Conte missing though, like he'll be in the stands, but it is a big blow for them not to have the manager there. Everything's going to have to get relayed down to the bench and then someone else is going to have to give those directions to the team. And I've heard other managers and other players talk about this before, about how football stadiums are very noisy when games are going on, but your ears tune to hear your manager's voice. So when you hear your manager, you can pick that voice out of a crowd. When it's an assistant, maybe that's not as smooth of an operation. So things will be delayed and maybe not getting onto the pitch in the same manner that they would if it was Conte himself just standing on the touchline giving instruction. So I think that could be a hamper for Spurs. But I'm going to say Spurs win. Like Kane got his first goal of the season against Chelsea. It was an own goal, though, and he won't be happy with it. Sun hasn't scored yet this season. I'm expecting a goal from each of them and a Spurs win.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think it's maybe the perfect opposition for, for Spurs to have these people missing, to be fair. Um, but we'll move on anyway. Crystal Palace against Villa. I mean, Palace um, had two two very difficult fixtures, to be fair. In mean, Arsenal and Liverpool, apart from Man City, you couldn't get too much harder. Um, and get a point out of them two games, it's not ideal, but it's not bad in the circumstances. Whereas Villa stank up the joint against Bournemouth and... Deservedly beat Everton, but I think that may say more about Everton and the way they played more than Villa. Um, yeah,
0: I think so. Yeah. I, I think it had more to do with Everton coming and playing no, uh, no attackers, no strikers at all no until Rondon came off mm. the bench. Um, we look at Villa. Courtney House is a doubt, but Coutinho and Cash should be fine. Uh, Diego Carlos ruled out for the foreseeable mm. and. That's a big blow for them because obviously they spent a lot of money to bring him in in the summer. Um, This means Mings is starting again, which no matter what way you look at it, it's just not ideal. Um, Palace obviously had their really weird preseason and it's taken them a bit of time to get going. They didn't, they got a good result at Anfield, but they came for. They didn't come for a win. They came not to lose. And if they were going to lose, they were going to lose by a goal. They came not to get battered, basically. So this is the first time we're going to see what we hope is a cohesive, gelled, Crystal Palace team playing the type of football that we saw last season. So We saw some of it in the second half against Arsenal, but in the first half they were so disjointed. And at Anfield, that was a bus parking operation. Now, Nathan Ferguson is out for another six months or so. A poor fella can't catch a break. Uh, Butland is out. MacArthur's out. And Tompkins is out. None of them are a surprise at this point. So, for Vieira, he can look at this. And this is probably his best 11 that he can put out. I'd expect he'll return to a back four. Mm. I think he has a choice to make it right back between Klein and Ward. Neither are ideal. I think that's why they're trying to get Wan-Bissaka in the door. But the, but the rest of the defence picks itself with Anderson, with Gwehi and with Mitchell. He does have a question-marking goal. Sam Johnston didn't go there to be a backup. Now, Gaeta has started the season. He didn't have a whole lot to do against Liverpool. Like, I don't really remember him making a save.
1: No, he nearly, he nearly, um,
0: there was the one, on from, from, didn't he? Yeah, the one yeah. from Elliot's header that was straight at him, yeah, and the one from Salah's header, which was very weak and just sort of dropped into his arms. Other than that, I don't really remember him making a save. Liverpool hit the post, had a couple of shots go just wide, a couple of great blocks from defenders, and obviously Diaz's goal flew past him and he didn't really see it. So, there's a question to be answered in goal. The midfield, I'm expecting that he goes with. De maybe will use. Been, it's
1: been Schlupp, hasn't
0: it, recently? It has been Schlupp, but I just don't like the balance of Schlupp with Eze and De Kure. It's just not it's not solid enough, and there's nobody mm-hmm. in there really who can progress just recycle the ball, the ball or progress mm-hmm. the ball. Like De Kure's okay at it, but he's still finding his feet in the league. Uh up front, I think Elise might start, which is exciting. So it could be Olise. With, uh, let's say, Edward and Zaha, or something along those lines.
1: I don't know why they don't use Mateto Myself, I think. I know you're a fan of Edward, but he hes not the biggest goal threat, but just as a as a, a, line fo- a focal figure and just being yeah. a big horrible bugger. It just I, he just seems he's one of them who can be unplayable without directly scoring. And you know
0: what? This weekend, he might be the ideal choice. Yeah. Because Tyron Mings will try and get into a wrestling match with him. So that might be the move here. Put him up front and try and get Mings to get involved with him. And that will leave space for Elise to run into. Um, This game is at Selhurst Park. I am going home win. I think Palace get the first win of the season. I think it will be a fairly tight game. But I I think they'll have a bit too much for Villa. I'll go 2-1.
1: Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if if Palace can click because I I think everyone wants to see a bit more of a lease and we know what Zaha is by now, but them two younger ones, I think everyone wants to see them two click together for Palace's future. But we'll move on to the next game, as I say. Everton against Forest. Now, this is an interesting one because Forest got the result against West Ham and played quite quite well in patches, but to be fair, I think West Ham hit the bar enough to, to probably win that game still. Whereas Everton don't want to attack, the <laughs> the looks of it, as we said on the last bit, they did look better just by him being a striker, bringing on um, bringing on Rondon, and probably more importantly, although he was at fault for one of the goals, is o- Onana who came on and just added mm. a bit more drive and f- ability, <laughs>
0: might be the word yeah, football basic <laughs> footballing <laughs> yeah. abilities.
1: but. Uh, it's an interesting because I think Forrest is still clicking, whereas Everton, they're just waiting for Calvert Lewin to get fit before they start the season. I, I don't know what the crack is.
0: Yeah, and the thing is, like they've been starting Anthony Gordon up front by himself. His head has got to be all over the place at the minute because of this stuff with Chelsea. And for anybody choosing to laugh about Forrest paying 25 million on add ons for Morgan Gibbs wife, Chelsea are going to pay £50 million for Anthony Gordon, <laughs> who plays in a much more advanced role and has less goals and assists than him. Um, T- Andros Townsend out, Ben Godfrey out, Yerry Mina out, Calvert-Lewin out, Andre Gomes out, Alain Ad- doubt, Ad- Adelaide Kure out. So my assumption is that Onana will start
1: with I, wouldn't <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if
0: Rondon started. I wouldn't be surprised if Rondon started. Yeah,
1: I think he has to at this stage.
0: Forest then. Omar Richards is out. Uh Jack Colbeck is injured, and Ryan Yates is a late fitness test. Hopefully, he can make the bench. Um. My, I, I assume Gibbs White won't start. I think we'll see a similar. Eleven to what played last weekend from Forrest. Mm. But remember, they've added four players. They've mm. added Emmanuel Dennis, who's really, really good. Remo Freuler, who's really, really good. Czech Coyate, who's a solid Premier League operator.
1: With three positions as well.
0: Yeah, and now Gibbs White. So all of them could be on the bench. And if we look at the bench last weekend, it wasn't exactly... Uh, bad. You know, mm. they had biancone who they brought in in the summer, Sam Surge, Alex Mighton. They're decent players. Now, Oliver Hammond, Lyle Taylor, and Cafu, they're the ones I'd expect to drop out. Maybe so as well. And maybe the four new signings all go onto the bench in place of those four. In which case, I think Palace, I think uh, Forest are going to be good this weekend. I think they're going to be good for the season. I'm going to pick a Forest win here. I think Steve Cooper, with the way he plays, with that back three, I think what we could see this weekend is a bit more of Neakarthis stepping out with the ball into midfield
1: Was and not, pushing Forrest been... forward. I thought he got injured, or did he come back on in that
0: game? He, he went off injured, but apparently he's okay. Oh okay. Um yeah, he went off and Steve Cook came on. But apparently he's mm-hmm. fine. Okay. Um I think I think Forrest won this game. I'm going, say, I'm going to say 2-0 to Forrest. I think Everton will really struggle to deal with the pace of Forrest in attack. Brennan Johnson, rapid. Awanee, rapid. Jesse Lingard, rapid. Emmanuel Dennis, if he starts or comes off the bench, rapid. Sam Surridge is fairly quick. Gibbs White is fairly quick. And For- Forrest have players that can control a game as well, like Freuler. Um, like Mangala, I I don't see that with this Everton team, so Mm. I'm gonna go for the away win, I'm gonna go 2 0 to Forest.
1: No, I certainly see the logic, and I think even if it is Rondon who's starting, the players behind him don't really help occupy the three at the back of Forest as well. So, no, that's
0: the thing, and like if you look at Everton, the most important thing in this league is to score goals. Okay, you can be incredible defensively but if you can't score goals eventually your defence is going to crack because you're going to be under so much pressure Like it's eventually just going to become too much Last season in the Premier League Richarlison scored 11 goals he's gone Townsend scored 7 he's injured mm. Damari Gray got 6 Calvert-Lewin got five. This is Sorry, this is not pregnant. This is all competitions. Calvert-Lewin got five. He's injured. Anthony Gordon got four. And Wolby and Rondon and Michael Keane and Holgate all got three each. Like, there's nobody there who's available to them who scored seven goals in the league last season. Nobody. Like, that's really, really concerning. And they haven't addressed it this summer. Like they needed to go and find some goals in the summer. Like Look, I like Tarkovsky. I, I think he's priority. Be fair. Exactly, especially when you're selling with Charlison. Like mm-hmm. I really like Dwight McNeil. I think he's a very good player. He's not a goal scorer. Do you know, like he's he's a creator. The he's playing him on the
1: right as well, and I never thought he. i would always thought he'd be better as
0: just the winger. Then the left beat mm. your man with the crosses in. That's what he does best. When Calvert Lewin comes back, maybe that's what they do with him. But like he's never scored more than three goals in a season. He's got seven goals in 149 career games in the Premier in, in top flight football. Uh, 136 in the Premier League, 149 in all competitions. Seven goals. He's not a goal scorer. He's a good supplier. Onan is a box to box midfielder who's primarily a defensive player, but obviously has physicality and power and can can control games and dominate them a bit. But, I mean, from a technical level, he's still lacking a bit, and he there's and just no goals in his game. And he I came mean, in
1: against a tired team last week, whereas exactly. Mangala was re, was excellent for Forrest last week. Like
0: he's got three career goals. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, Tarkovsky's a centre-back. I really like him. I like the signings they've made. Other than Cody, I'm not. I'm not keen on Cody. I like Vinegra but I'm not keen on Cody. But I mean, there's no goals into the team. There's no actual forward player because McNeil is a midfielder. Um, Onan is a midfielder. Vinaegra is a left back, and the other two are centre backs. They haven't bought any goals, and they couldn't score any goals last season. And it's not like that was just a one-off thing. You know, you go back the season before, even when when Calvert Lewin was having a great season, scored 21 goals. You got Calvert Lewin, 21, Richarlison, 13, only seven in the league, though. Then it's Gilfie Sigurdsson and James Rodriguez, both of them gone. And Michael Keane again with three league goals. There's just no nowhere near enough goals in this team. And this has been the situation at Everton for a while. Like the season before that, 1920. Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin get 13 each in the league, 15 each in all competitions. The next highest scorer in the league was Bernard with three. And he's gone. Him and Gilfie, three in all competitions. Both gone. 18-19 top goal scorer Gilfie Sigurdsson. Four, 13 in the league, 14 in all competitions. He's gone. Then Richarlison. Then Calvert-Lewin. Then Walcott. Then Luca Dina, Chen Tucson, Kurt Zuma, Bernard. The only player who's still at the club and fit from that season, 1819, who scored more than one goal is Seamus Coleman. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like 53 goals in the league that season as a team, 42 in 1920, in 2021. 46. In 21, 22, 43. This is just who they are as a team. They don't score enough goals. And the other side of it is they're not exactly great defensively.
1: Mm. So when
0: Everton fans wonder, you know, why did we lose 21 games last season? Why are we a bottom half team? Why can't we break into the top six or seven, despite all the money that we've spent? Because he can't score any goals. He just can't score any goals. Like Marco Silva had them eight. And that was the season where they scored 54 goals. 54 goals. Like it's not a huge amount. But they that got them top half.
1: I feel like Luke Archer used to be quite a
0: bit. It's madness. Rooney, Nias, both gone. Calvert Lewin got four league goals in seventeen eighteen. Gilfig got 3, Tucson got or yeah, the got 5. Leighton Baines scored two. This is for the 17-18 44 goals. So one season of the last what that was that 6 years mm. where they scored over fi- uh, 50 goals. Like, that's nowhere near acceptable. Nowhere near acceptable. That's what I ever need to address. That's why I'm I'm confident that Forrest will go there and beat them. Because who's scoring goals for Everton? Like, their only goal of the season so far is an own goal.
1: Even on set-piece threat now? I mean, they used to have... Well, my, Michael King, worst defender in the league for me, but he's a threat on set-pieces. He's
0: a threat on set-pieces. So you had him. He probably isn't going to be in the team this weekend. Because if you're playing a back three, you've got to have someone with pace. So yeah. if Cody and Tarkovsky are in, the other one has to be Holgate, regardless of what you think of him.
1: Mm. He's
0: the only one there with pace. He's 5'10". He's not a set of threat at set pieces. Cody's not a threat set pieces. Um, Mikalenko isn't either. Mikalenko's not. He's going to be taking them in, in most in, in most situations. Patterson's one of the ones that stays back and defends. Tarkovsky's not a big-time goal scorer. Um, Onana might be at 6'4". So maybe you lob him into the box and he causes some havoc, but I mean without the is out injured, none of the forwards really are, are, are tall at all unless Rondon plays. Like it's it's quite a short team. Holgate and Cody are both 5'10, 5'11, Michaelenko's five ten. I think Patterson might be six foot, the right back. Tarkovsky's six one. Onana, to be fair, is tall. Alan is 5'9. Uh Damari Gray and Anthony Gordon, they're they're fairly short. They're 5'8, 5'9. Um Dwight McNeil is six foot, but again, he'll be one of the ones taking the set pieces. So other than Onana, like, there's nobody in the team over 6'1. Even the goalkeeper is only like 5'11 with. <laughs> with, with the arms of a four foot eleven man, anyway, let's move on.
1: Yeah, should be an interesting game, away. Uh, Fulham bred for next, which is a West, derby, West, London derby, I presume. Um, I've always thought QPR, but I, I think I heard on a podcast these are rivals as well. Um, it should be interesting. Fulham had a again, probably a good start to the season. Good point against Liverpool, probably deserved more to be honest. The way we played, um. Could have nicked... Well, I can't remember. Who did they play? I know they drew. I can't remember who they played. them Drew at Wolves. That's the one. Uh, should have scored the penalty, uh, got saved, but apparently it was a dire game. Whereas Brentford, good draw in the first, first game week, uh, coming back against Leicester. And, <laughs> yeah, we all remember the other game. Um, this should be an interesting game, I think. I think it'll be interesting to see if Brentford stick with three at the back, which was so good against United or they maybe go back to the four at the back, which they tinkered with throughout pre-season and the first game. Whereas Fulham may be starting to great a couple new signings, but they already seem settled. They're not rushed in even someone like Leno, who you'd expect to just come straight in, but a settled side and, I mean, defended quite well in two games so far. But this one should be interesting, I think.
0: This should be a decent game. Like you said, it is a, a bit of a local derby. Um, there is the four clubs in, in West London, that I can think of are Brentford, Fulham, Chelsea and QPR. There might be a fifth one, but I'm, I don't think there is. I think it's just those four. Um, Brentford and Fulham, I mean, they've, they've played in, in, in lower leagues. This is um, the first Premier League meeting between these two clubs. So there's that. Uh, <clears throat> Bournemouth, uh, sorry, Brentford come into this game with Ayer still ruled out. Canos still ruled out. And Ethan Pinnock still ruled out. For Fulham, no Harry Wilson. Brian is injured. They have doubts over De Cordova-Reed and Pereira. And then obviously Manor Solomon is injured. He had knee surgery and will be out for a while. But they do have Issa Diop now. Ready to start. Mbappu um, might start right back. We might see Burn Leno and goal. So this could be, you know, Fulham with a couple of new a couple of their new signings in the team. But Brentford looked fantastic against United. And Brentford looked very, very confident. And I think they'll take more confidence from that game. Now last season they did struggle away from home a little bit. But I could see them going to Fulham and getting results. result. Fulham have obviously started the season well. You'd wonder how long they can keep that up for like that intensity level because it's not exactly a big squad full of elite quality players. Uh, My feeling is that this weekend they might get a little bit of a bump in the road, but I think they can still get a point. So I'm going to say this will be a 2-2 draw. I think both sides will have plenty of chances because I think it will be played at a really high tempo. Uh, But I think Mitrovic will score again. I think Ivan Tony is going to cause... Some serious problems for Fulham. So I'll go 2-2. Two, two.
1: Yeah, it should be fun. And should this next one? Because well, the what, what is defended. Is <laughs> uh, Leicester against Southampton. Leicester might as well just be a big question mark in so many regards that, that club. And maybe something similar at Southampton, where Tomped by um, by Spurs on the first day, came back last week. Um it's just a question mark Southampton because the the tinkering with five at the back, which I know the fans don't like looking at that, looking at the social media, but they didn't like the four two 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 he was playing last season. So again, we we I think last week we mentioned the the toxicity at, um, at Southampton, but there was so much promise in some of the some of the sub appearances last week. Joe Reva looks like a smashing signing. Mm. Uh, is it Sekumaro Maro? Yeah, that he played it, really that, well when he came that, on. That pass was. Filth. When, yeah.
0: oh And the, the shot he unleashed from about 25 mm. yards as well was absolutely just... The power he generated... Remember we used to watch Sturridge play? Mm. And with no backlift, he would just absolutely rattle the ball. Yeah, And it would just fly off his foot. And pa- Mara's shot was the same. That pass is disgusting. The mm. pass to Walker-Pete was disgusting. Now, it's a funny thing, because the only club that we have heard anything about in terms of dressing room discontent, outside of United where it's a circus, the only other club where we've heard anything about dressing room discontent so far in the early stage of this season is Southampton. That's some senior voices Mm. in the dressing room were growing a little bit tired of Hasenhutten. But that fight back that we saw last weekend, that's not the type of thing that happens with a group of players that have lost faith in their manager. Because if the players weren't in it together. And in it with the manager. They go 2-0 down. I think they just down tools. And either see the game out at 2-0. Or potentially even lose 3 or 4-0. But the way Seth Hampton responded. And you are right. The sub the, the substitutions the manager made. Were absolutely vital. In terms of Saints fans. This constant crying about, well, we don't like this formation, we don't like that formation. Well, what formation do you like? And what qualifies you to tell the manager what formation he should play? Um, I think Hassan Hüttl should stick with the back three because when he eventually gets Tino Livermento back, he's perfect for back three as a right wing back. I think Gennett showed Decent signs last weekend. We know Walker-Peters is a good player. And we know Roman Perot is a decent player. So they've got the wing-backs to play a back three. Bella Kochup and Sal- and Salisu, I think right now, probably look more comfortable in the back three as well. And it allows them to be very progressive on the ball. Now, you want Bednarak being a little bit more vocal and a little bit more switched on with his defensive work. But mm. they've got the midfielders to play this system as well. Romeo Lavio, or Lavia looks the absolute business at 18. He really does. The question mark over Saints is who's going to score goals on a regular basis. That's something they need to address. But this weekend, they're going up against a team that can't defend and a team that will be without Ricardo Pereira for the long haul, without Bertrand Traore, Bertrand, Ryan Bertrand not that he'd help but you know he's injured and Harvey I Barnes I wish they had
1: Bertrand Traore they probably do what, a, they could, player.
0: what, what a baller <laughs> like never seen a man stand on the ball and fall over as many times as Bertrand Traore he's just
1: playing football for himself not for the, he is, he is not, not for the he team he
0: has <laughs> no idea that there's other players on the pitch no ideas at all he gets the ball and immediately goes into his own little world and he is just jiving with it He's a very aware player. When he doesn't have the ball, he does work hard and stuff. But when he gets the ball, it's everyone else can forget about it. Um, Neither team is particularly good defensively. Leicester are definitely better going forward. Leicester haven't looked good this season, though. They really haven't looked good. Like... Last weekend against Arsenal, they were just a shambles defensively. The weekend before, they were shambles defensively. I think Southampton will score a couple. But I think Leicester could score one more. I'm going to go 3-2 Leicester. I think Vardy will cause them a lot of problems. Southampton's defence with his movement and his pace. I'll go 3-2 to Leicester.
1: Who did I see Southampton linked with? Because you mentioned the striker, Uh Goncalo Ramos from Benfica. That's who he's been linked with. That's it. Yeah. Um. Anything on he'd him? Because really good. He'd yeah, be
0: really good. Now I don't know if he'd make that move. Like, would he walk away from Champions League football to join Southampton? But he'd mm. be excellent. He. There are a bunch of Premier League clubs that could do with him. Wolves. He would be perfect for them. He'd be perfect for Saints. He's a really good pressing forward, really energetic, good touch, good movement. Just Google him quickly and Google John McGinn on a different tab and flick back. I'm telling you, he's John McGinn looking with a bit of a tan. But he is a very, very good player. Oh my God, he is. Isn't he? I only noticed this the other day because I've been looking at him for ages thinking he looks like someone and I know and I don't know John McGinn but that's who it was he looks like John McGinn he needs to grow a little bit more facial hair and um but other than that he's just John McGinn with a tan
1: Get him to Celtic or something. Get get rid of the <laughs> get him up, get up to Scotland for <laughs> yeah. two to three years.
0: <laughs> he will be and cold. Because that, that blue undertone that Scottish people have in their skin from living up in the polar polar north, that will dampen the tan and then he'll uh he'll look exactly like John McGinn. You could sell him to Villa.
1: Month, two month long to Bordeaux Glimp, that'll sort out.
0: That'll do him. Get do. him up, get him way yeah. up there. Yeah. Um yeah, he he'd be a really good addition. But like Ben Breert and Diaz would be a good addition uh, if they want a striker to bring in who won't cost a ton of money.
1: They're definitely looking because there's the Liam. I know he's a Stoke. They, they have. Seemingly there's more talk that
0: could be available again now. I, yeah. I I have a feeling there might have been a falling out there last year between him and and Hassan Hootler, or him and one of one or two of the players. Um, but. They they need to get a striker in. Like it is at this point, it's not even a, a should; it's a must. The one name I throw out as someone that they should look at, who I think could come into that team and score goals straight away. Is Victor Gyorkeus uh, Gyorkez from Coventry? Coventry. Uh, butchering his name, obviously. Goykarez, Goykarez, maybe
1: isn't he Greek, uh, but he's Swedish or something. He's Greek, but he's Swedish. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, I think he would score goals in that team. I think he's a really clever player and a really. To good be finish. fair, I
1: think the thing with Southampton, they could offer Adam Armstrong to basically most of that league as well.
0: Yeah, and I think most of the league would take him. I mm. really do, um, and I think including, uh, including. Coventry. Mm. There's two players at Coventry that the Premier League should be looking at. Gustavo Hammer is one. Now, he's a little bit undersized. He's only, I think, 5'6, five, 5'7. Five, but, uh, and, you know, he's a similar, he is similar to what Lucas Torreira was at Sampdoria, where he's that undersized but like super feisty player who could dictate a game. Mascarano. No, he's not as. Mascarano had. A speed about him that Torreira didn't have and I don't think Hammer has it either but he's another one the Premier League clubs should keep an eye on because he is very very good that Coventry team though are a lot of fun and if your Premier League team is not playing you know on the same time as Coventry I would suggest watching Coventry play I think there's a few players there you'll really enjoy Callum O'Hare is another one to keep an eye on uh, he almost went to Burnley recently, but I think he failed the medical or something, or they turned down. Something happened anyway. Either way, he's he's a really good player. Um, Young Doyle is in on loan from City. He's good. Jonathan Pans was an interesting one. Uh there's there's a lot of good players there. They're just a very fun team to watch. And Mark Robbins, to his credit has done an exceptional job there over the last w- five Would
1: years. you Coventry back in the Premier League? We've got Leeds, we've got Forest. Coventry, Coventry are the next, next one. one. Yeah. They're the
0: next one. They're the next one that I need in the Premier League. If I can get Coventry City back in the Premier League, I am going to be absolutely thrilled. Because I, I, they're just a proper, proper, old school Premier League club who... For me, growing up, Coventry were just always in the Premier League. Now, I know that they weren't. Uh, I know that there was many seasons where they weren't a top-flight club. But if I pull up my list of Coventry City seasons, not my list, Wikipedia's list. Uh, So, Coventry were in the top flight. Actually, to be fair, Coventry were in the top division from 1967 until... 2001, so they were in the top flight forever Mm. and then they dropped into what was Division 1 at the time then the Championship, they've been in League 1, they've been as far down as League 2 and they've worked their way back up under Mark Robbins uh, into the Championship and last season they finished 12th but for a chunk of the season Mm. they were having a good old go at it, like they were I want to say they were in the playoffs for...
1: Certainly in the picture, I think, yeah.
0: I see. Yeah. Like, up until week... Week 20, they were fifth. That's almost halfway through the season. And then they had a kind of a bad run and they were dropping points here and there. But that's a hell of an achievement. And what actually hurt them was, I think they had a COVID outbreak or something. And, uh, and that really hurt them. But, yeah, that Coventry team are fun to watch. And I think people should get on board with giving them a chance when, when they have the opportunity to watch them. But anyway, we've gone way off topic.
1: We have. I'm nearly going to bring up Borough there, but you'd end up going about Janino an and Emerson. Cool. <laughs> uh,
0: Ravinelli. Yeah. And Gianluca Festa. Let's knock. Mark Schwarzer.
1: Macaroni. Jose oh, De no, John. Month.
0: Massimo Macaroni gets no love on this podcast. No that love. Is... But Janine and Emerson, Craig Hignett, Nicky Barnby, that was a. Those two years, the first two years they had in the Premier League, genuinely were magic. Because there was just. They were new to the division. They just built this new stadium. They had. Nicky Barnby and Janino and they had Ravinelli and Emerson. And it was just so much fun. Cause you know, because who the hell were Middlesbrough? You know, they were just this team that just popped up and uh, it was great. It genuinely was great.
1: Nothing anyway. tops the Yakubu Vaduka, Jimmy Floyd Hasselblad front three, I'm just saying. But we'll move on. Um Bournemouth Arsenal on telly. Cool. Um uh, Arsenal should just win this because, well, Scott Parker said last week there's no point trying against anyone in the top six, seemingly.
0: It's a bizarre point for a manager to, <laughs> to stand by, isn't it? Like, it's yeah. really strange that he came out. Say, you're good. We can't be bothered. It's fine. It's <laughs> just so strange. Like, then, then turn up and play your reserves. Don't put minutes in the legs of your senior players. Um, David Brooks out, Joe Rothwell out, uh, Ryan Fredericks out, Solanke a doubt. Zamora has COVID. Um, whereas Arsenal's only issue is uh, Reese Nelson, who wouldn't play anyway. Um, I Arsenal are going to win this game. There's no point in getting into it. Arsenal have looked fairly good going forward. They have looked shaky at the back, like. Le- uh, Leicester scored two and could have got another one. Palace could easily have scored a couple of goals. So I, I I think Arsenal need to improve defensively, but they have looked decent going forward. I expect Gabriel Jesus to score another couple of goals uh, and justify everybody having them in their fantasy Premier League team. But um no, I think Arsenal win this game. I'll say three one. I've got
1: advice, captain just in case United fans kick off on Monday. Just never know. Um, Moving on to Sunday, then. Leeds against Chelsea. Um, I don't think I've had a chance to... I don't think I've even seen highlights of Leeds this season, so that's a chance for me to watch them. Whereas Chelsea uh, played well against Spurs. The Everton game was very, very dull. Still, the the forward issues are still there, but the defence looks... Better and cooler barley looks well. It looks like cooler barley. Reese James is very good. Kukareo was excellent against um, Tottenham, but maybe they bring Chilwell in if they want a bit more attacking, I suppose. Um, whereas Leeds, I, I don't really know, but I'd have to say Chelsea are the favorites. But I, I'm interested to see Leeds,
0: yeah, without question. Chelsea have to be heavy favorites here, um, but. You know, Ellen Road's a tough enough place to go. The crowd will be into it. The, this is a like a, a long-standing historic rivalry between these two clubs um, that dates back to like the 70s. Their fans despise each other. Or the old school Chelsea fans, not, not the hangers-on they picked up in recent years, but the old school Chelsea fans hate Leeds. Leeds fans hate Chelsea for a multitude of reasons. Uh, so the atmosphere could be quite spicy in this one. Uh, no Kovacic, no Kante, which leaves a question mark in the Chelsea midfield. I mean, Jorginho and maybe Gallagher gets a start. Maybe he plays Loftus-Cheek in midfield. Um, Marcus Alonso's not in the squad, obviously, because he's he's on his way to Barcelona. Leeds, no Stuart Dallas, no Luke Ayling. Junior Furpo still out. Bamford is out. Uh, Liam Cooper is out. And Joe Gellhart has a dead leg, but might make the game. So they're dealing with injuries again, like they did last season. Chelsea are the better team. Chelsea should win. They played really well against Spurs. Defensively, they had a couple of lapses. But overall, they played very, very well. I think Sterling will be key in this game. I don't know how Leeds are going to cope with them. Um, I'm going to say... a. a a 2-1 Chelsea win. But I think it'll be a tough game. And like I said, I think the atmosphere could be quite special for this one.
1: Yeah, didn't Chelsea beat them like 7-0 last season? I don't know if it what stadium it was, but didn't they absolutely they, batter they, him while they draw with them?
0: Was uh, that was that at Allen Road versus Chelsea? I think that might was that away. I think that, that must away.
1: have been one of BLC's last game, truly. Uh, let's see when Mason Mount was stat bad in against them and Norwich. <laughs>
0: uh. Chelsea 21, on yeah that, that's literally how Mason Mount filled his boots last season wasn't it? Mm. Uh, da, 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 I do da, like Mason Mount he would like, please fans. come to Liverpool. Yeah. yeah no, know I love Mason <laughs> Mount. But it was 3-0 at the end of the season at Elm Road where it was what was it no, last season was 3-2. It was Southampton that they battered. They beat them 6 away. Yeah, yeah. Same team. City hammered. City that hammered last night. They beat them last year, they beat them 7-0. That was the one. It was City. And then all of a sudden, when they were due to play Liverpool, they got all the COVID outbreaks in the world and couldn't fulfil the game. Um, that's what that was. They got hammered by Man City. Uh, 7 0 at home, no 7 0 away. Sorry, then Arsenal beat them 4 1 at home, and then they had no players to play Liverpool because they were all out with Covid, even though they weren't. Uh, let's move on before I start ranting.
1: Yes, uh, West Ham against Brighton. Um, I would have enjoyed to watch this, but West Ham with their Europa Conference League did they, did they win last night? I don't even know. They won um, the three, 3 1, I think. Lovely. Um Against Brighton, who start the season really well again, second game to, to buy a striker, lads. God's sake, it's, a, it's overdue. Whereas West Ham, they're second bottom in the league now. Um, yeah. Injuries to the new signings, apart from Skamaka, who who's not got the chance to start a game yet. I, I think he started last night, but it just again feels stale. I think you just got to add in. Yaskamaka or Corne, I know all guards injured um, but I don't know, I, I don't know, it just feels odd with West Ham it, it's a good, I think it's a good chance for them to 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 get a result here but the way Brighton have started Rice and Shoo, uh, Suchek against um, Kasedo, um and Wepu if he starts and, and McAllister is the number six now uh, that we discussed on the first uh, last week's pod I think it'll be a good midfield battle, but I'm not sure if if it's a good game or a bad game for West Ham.
0: Yeah, I mean, West Ham need the win. They really, really need the win because they've got to perform this year. They've got to get themselves out of this little rut that they're in. Now, look, they played City on the opening day. City are an exceptionally good football team. But... Last weekend they lose to newly promoted Forest. They, they probably did enough to get a draw in fairness mm-hmm. but they need a win. Brighton should have won last week. Did win the week before. As you say need a strike, striker. It's it's at the point of being ridiculous at this point. Um, Brighton have everybody bar it, Yakut Motor available. Uh, West Ham no Agard no Dawson but Kilo Career looked pretty good last night. Max Cornet looked very good last night, and Schumacher scored last night. So yeah, Bowen career. scored as well. They looked cohesive in attack. Fornals was really good. I'm gonna go for the West Ham win. I'm gonna say two one to West Ham. I think it'll be a very good game of football.
1: Yeah, yeah. I want want to check out if you don't want to watch Leeds Chelsea uh, last game on the Sunday. <coughs> excuse me, Newcastle Man City. Just the way Man City have started the season, nothing against Newcastle, but you just gotta instantly think Man City would probably win any game they'd play this weekend.
0: Yeah, without question. I mean the Toon looked good on the opening day against um against Forest. Last weekend they didn't look so good against Brighton, but they still played okay. But this weekend, like, I just don't see how anyone touches City at the minute. They swept West Ham aside like they were nothing. They comfortably beat Bournemouth without ever getting out of second gear. And they scored four without Haaland, Well, really having any involvement in the game. He got one assist and only completed one other pass in his time on the pitch. Uh, the key for City is they're a much better team when Jack Greenish isn't on the pitch. They're much more fluid. They're much more direct. They play quicker. They play with more purpose. So if, if he starts Foden, uh, I would expect them to cause uh, Newcastle serious problems. Uh, they're still missing in Laporte. Calvin Phillips should be okay this weekend. And uh, Cole Palmer should be back as well. Whereas the tune no Shelby no Federico Fernandez no Jamal Lewis no Emil Kraft no Matt Target no Ryan Fraser uh I, I think City will win this game three one a little bit of breaking news Chelsea have completed the 20 million pound 20 million Euro signing of uh, Cesare Cassady from Inter Milan I think it's 15 million plus add-ons uh, another very talented player so Looking forward to seeing... The um, Test team is going to be good. <laughs> yeah, look. looking forward to seeing him go on loan for the next three Chuck years. Chuck uh, and
1: him at Vitesse is going to be on fire. Yeah, it's going to be <laughs> un-
0: unbelievable. <laughs> best we feel in Europe. Uh, um, yeah. Anyway, 3-1 to City. Yeah.
1: Dan, it looked like Dan at left back. Shar Botman, it's a big, it's a big backline. That's a tall back. Line. Yeah, set pieces and Haaland. It's going to be like King Kong v Godzilla. Um, moving on to Monday then. Um, how do you frame this one? A team that has to win in Liverpool because they've screwed up the start of the season, and a team in Man United that, regardless of the result, just have to show more, more tactical flexibility, more fight, less Ronaldo being a boo boo. Um, but I think regardless of the result for Man United, they just have to show something because if this ends up like it did with the last season's Liverpool games, it doesn't matter. You could sign 800 Casemiro's. It's not going to fix the the relationship there, but if Man United do all this playing out the back stuff, regardless of whoever the hell's up front for Liverpool, because Liverpool, we have no idea, it, it may be another, another slaughter if our players can remember how to score goals.
0: Yeah, if Liverpool play anywhere close to the level that they're capable of, they will absolutely batter Manchester United, destroy them, because United are awful. But they haven't played anywhere close to that level so far this season. Now, Liverpool have a ton of players missing. So, as things stand, no Alcantara, no Jota, Nunes is suspended, Kelleher's out, Jones is out, Matip is out, Oxley chamberlains out, Canate is out, and Calvin Ramsey is out. Uh, Bobby Firmino is fit again, and Joe Gomez will start, according to Jurgen Klopp. So, those are two... Well, Gomez is a plus, obviously. Firmino just depends on which Firmino turns up. Does drunken Firmino turn up? Does the one who can't control the football turn up? Or does the good version, good time Bobby, does good time Bobby turn up? Pre-drinks Bobby. <laughs> pre, yeah, pre-drinks Bobby. <laughs> and uh, and put United to the sword. Because if he does, like we know Salah and Diaz are going to cause United huge amounts of problems. The big question here is what does Jurgen Klopp do in midfield? The The right thing to do is to play Harvey Elliott, Fabinho and Nabi Keita. That's the right thing to do. Do that and you will win this game fairly comfortably. But I've got a feeling he'll start Brian. And that makes Liverpool worse, Especially regardless of where he starts. If he starts on the right, he's worse than Elliott. If he starts as the six, he's significantly worse than Fabinho. If he starts on the left, he's a train wreck. Uh, he might start Milner, which would be equally awful. Milner is a better player than Henderson as an eight but he doesn't offer anything either. Uh, The correct thing to do is start Elliot, Fabinho and Keita, but I don't think he'll do that. I still think Liverpool will win, but whereas I think it could be a heavy victory in some circumstance, I'm just going to say 1-0 and keep my fingers crossed. God, 1-0. I'll
1: take it. At this point, I'll take
0: it. I mean...
1: Just the habit of going behind. Is it eight games or six games? Yeah, that's it. I just want a clean sheet. A clean sheet
0: does me nicely. Like, United have no Martial. Obviously, no Greenwood. So, there's two of their big goal threats out of the way. Cristiano just offers nothing against teams like Liverpool. Um, No Lindelof, no Williams, and no Palestri either for United. But I... I, I Look, I, I look at the United team... I mean he can probably play it's probably gonna be Maguire and Martinez at centre back again, in which case you're gonna have Diaz and Salah running down the outside. He has
1: them. to play Varan.
0: He has to play Varane, but I mean who does he drop then? Does he drop his club captain or does right. he drop the fella he he insisted on paying fifty five million for? I don't care. <laughs> maybe he'll maybe he plays a back three. And there have been some reports that in training in midweek. Playing at defensive midfield, number four in your program, number one in your hearts, Phil Jones, ladies and gentlemen. Oh yes! If you remember last season at Anfield, guy, Phil Jones, they, they,
1: <laughs> yeah, they did. defrosted
0: him <laughs> and stuck him <laughs> in the middle of a back three, and Liverpool uh. annihilated them. And after twenty-five minutes, Phil Jones was stood there, huffing and puffing. Bless him. And looking at the manager like imploring him to take him off.
1: To so, be fair, I remember that didn't wasn't Jones the one holding the line and Maguire
0: just ran ten yards yeah. forward for no reason. Just charged forward. Uh, because he's probably why better not? than
1: he's better than Maguire, and it's funny. Oh, that is dear. us then.
0: That is our ten games previewed. That is the show for today. Thank you as always for listening, and we will see you Monday. Bye bye. network.